Good morning, my friend. I hope you are doing well. Today, we're going to talk about the book called The Night is Normal. The Night is Normal, A Guide Through Spiritual Pain by Dr. Alicia Britt Sholey. Now, Alicia Britt Sholey was somebody I did not know until a few months ago. And I was actually had received an email from Katie Dodele, who's a publicist at Tyndale. And Katie said, was, we were working back and forth to try to get one of their authors on my podcast. We've been working for a while to try to work this out. And it's one of those interviews that just, we, we couldn't get on the same page about the timing and all that. We finally settled on a date in the fall. And as we were exchanging emails back and forth, she said, Hey, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to tell you about an author that I've never told you about before. It's one of our books coming out soon that we're super excited about. And she, she is right up your alley. Katie said, I, th- I think Elisa Britt Sholey is somebody who writes on stuff that you'll resonate with. I think your listeners will resonate with. She said, check out her book, The Night is Normal. And I want you just to check it out. I'll send you a copy, an advanced copy. And, and if you feel like it's a good fit for your show, let's get her on your show. And so I was like, well, that's great. I like the title. I was really compelled by the title, The Night is Normal. Because as you know, we're going through these massive things in our lives. And sometimes it's not a, a one particular thing. Sometimes it's a season you're going through that it just feels like it's a death by a thousand cuts the sort of spiritual ling chi that all these things are happening that are driving you into this place that feels really dark and it can start to feel you can start really getting disillusioned if you remember my second book my last book i've seen the end of you that the subtitle was faith doubt and the things we think we know and my my whole premise of that was dealing with people with cancer and terminal illnesses and trying to learn how to help them when I couldn't cure them with surgery. And then while writing this book that I thought was going to be my guide to helping people who were dealing with life and death issues and hopelessness and all that, I was when our son Mitch died and I found I was one of those people down in that furnace of suffering, as Isaiah called it. And so I, I wrote this book about sort of the, the, the journey that we took in dealing with loss and doubt and faith and pain and all those things jumbled up together. And what I, what I hit on really was that the thing that hurts people the most is not cancer. It's not actually the event, the trauma. It's, it's the hopelessness that can come along from it. And then really that springs from this attachment that we have to thinking that our emotional state is tied to our circumstances. And all of us do it. But when we lose the things we think we know, we become disillusioned. And so I've been drawn to books that that address that issue of how do we deal when we lose the things we think we know, when we lose the illusion that we had that our life was going to play out a certain way, when when the circumstances don't work out the way we want them to, how do we deal with that? And I read this incredible book by... Tish Harrison Warren called Songs in the Night that was about prayers of lament. And I found Mark Rogep's writing about, about dark clouds, deep mercy and, and the learning how to pray these lament prayers and work through those painful times in your lives. And that's one of the reasons that I've loved Philip Yancey's work so much and Richard Foster's work so much. And all of a sudden, Katie sends me this book, The Night is Normal. And it's about what to do when the lights go out. How do you find your way when you're in spiritual pain? And so, as I normally do, because the audiobook wasn't available yet, I, I usually if I'm going to have an author on the show, I do kind of a deep dive and I try to read their other work. And, and I found that Alicia's written three previous books. One of them is called The Sacred Slow. And it's like, how do you, how do you slow yourself down and get into this sacred space where you don't have to be so busy and crazy and hectic all the time? And I read that while I was running, listened to the audiobook while I was running and working out found it very encouraging. I love her voice as a, as a narrator of her own work, and I love her writing voice. And then the second book really just blew me away. Her book called Anonymous. It's like, what do you do during these seasons of your life when you feel like nobody sees you, nobody notices you? What do you do? How do you handle those times when it feels like you're invisible? And she used the Jesus story of the 30 years of his life that we don't know about. Like, What happened to Jesus between age 12 at the temple and age 30 when he shows up on the scene in his ministry, what's he doing in terms of spiritual formation during those times? And it's a tremendous book. One of the best books I've ever read on spiritual formation. This right up there with Richard Foster and others. And so I was nerding out on her work when I got into the text of The Night is Normal before we had the interview with her. And this was several weeks ago now that we got together on Zoom and recorded. And so I just want to give you a little bit of preamble about this book before we get into this incredible interview. I'm going to give you two more songs from the Hope is the First Dose playlist during this episode because we're going to, the this conversation with Alicia went 
we could have talked for hours. We were one of those, one of those people that I could have just talked to for hours and hours. And I think I'll have her back on the show. I'm going to have her back on the show someday to talk about her book, Anonymous, and some ideas around spiritual formation. But as we talked, I thought this is a, an episode that I'm going to break up into two segments because I, there's so much meat here. She's, there's just no superficial fluff here. This is a deep conversation. And in the middle of it, she leads us in a prayer. And at the end of that prayer, I'm going to give you a song from Need to Breathe called Seasons. And it's this, this idea that we're in for nasty weather. There's stuff coming. There's massive things coming. And I'm going to ride it out with you. I'm going to hang in there with you, with Jesus, with God, with you at my side. And I'm going to be here, friend, with you every day on the podcast. I'm going to ride this nasty weather out with you. And sometimes the nasty weather is the night. It's a season of darkness, a season of pain, a season when it feels like God is far away. And what Alicia's going to teach us today is that the night is normal, that God made the light and the darkness, that God made the day and the night. He gave us the sun to rule the day, but he didn't leave us in the dark. He gave us the, the light of the moon and the stars at night, and he's always there. And nighttime is a time to process this disillusionment and learn to to deal with it and heal from it and move through it and look for that light again. And the night turns out to be normal and not just normal, but an important part of learning how to deal with disillusionment and moving through that. Before we get into her conversation, I'm going to read a couple of things for you. One is a prayer that I got from Tish Harrison Warren's book, Songs in the Night, that's actually from the Book of Common Prayer. She didn't write the prayer, but she she brought it forth, and that's the first time I'd encountered it. And I just want to give you this little prayer. If you listen to this episode in the evening or at night, or if you listen to it during the day, but take this prayer and say it at nighttime and just kind of get into this idea of thinking about what happens in the night. And here's the prayer. Keep watch, dear Lord, with those who work or watch or weep this night and give your angels charge over those who sleep. Tend the sick, Lord Jesus. Give rest to the weary. Bless the dying. Soothe the suffering. Pity the afflicted. Shield the joyous and all for your love's sake. Amen. Here's what I'm praying for you, friend. I'm praying that if you're in the middle of your massive thing, if you're in the middle of a season that feels like the night, or if you're just disillusioned and you've lost the things that you thought you knew and and somebody's dying or somebody was unfaithful or something's hurting you, or you're just in a dark night of the soul and you don't know exactly what's happening, this is for you. And our prayer for you is that God will keep watch over you during that time and that you will find that the night is normal and it's a process for you that God can use for your healing. At the end of this episode, I'm going to play another song from an artist named Ellie Holcomb called Red Sea Road. And this is the idea that sometimes we're on a road, we're we're coming out of someplace, like the Egyptians, like the Israelites came out of Egypt and God delivered, he freed them from their captivity and put them on the Red Sea Road, but they weren't delivered yet. They weren't there yet. They had a journey to take. And it seemed impossible because they were being pursued by the Egyptian army and they had a sea in front of them. Right, And it looked impossible. But our God is a God who, if he puts you on the road, he will open the sea for you. He'll make a way for you where there is no way. Remember the scripture? He'll make a way where there is no way. He'll make streams of living water in the desert. If you're thirsty, he'll provide water for you. If you're hungry, he'll provide manna and quail. If you're in the dark, he'll provide light. He'll He'll move with you. He'll camp among you. He will lead you. He will part the waters for you. This is a God who, even if you're on the Red Sea Road, will make a way for you. And so I just want to encourage you that if you're in that season of the night, it is not too late for you. And we have an incredible teacher, mentor, and guide here with us. Alicia Burt-Sholey is a speaker, award-winning author, and mentor. Her raw faith and love for God's Word holds the attention of saints and skeptics alike. I love that part of her bio. Her previous works, as I said, anonymous, 40 Days of Decrease, and The Sacred Slow. The new book is The Night is Normal. I'm going to read you something right now. Reality is a merciful illusion breaker, but the process can be deeply unsettling. Why? Gerald May explains that since the night involves relinquishing attachments, it takes us beneath our denial into territory we were in the habit of avoiding. Resisting the night, we try to push it back with the feeble light of human understanding. Reason desperately attempts to hold faith in place, which is difficult to do when faith is growing. As Kierkegaard said, it's precisely to lose one's understanding in order to win God. In other words, our greatest thoughts are still too small. When in pain, we have to decide what we love more and what our faith in is really in. Is our love and faith in God or in our understanding? 
The former will always be too big for the latter. He is bigger. He is better. He created us to be with him, and his companionship is enough, even in the night. Listen, friend, this book that I'm holding in my hand, this beautiful book, The Night is Normal, A Guide Through Spiritual Pain by Dr. Alicia Britt Scholle, is one of those books that will change your heart and change your mind. Because remember, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And if you're in the season of darkness, you need to change your mind. Disillusionment is not always bad. It's not always a a bad thing to be in the dark because God's got a plan for you. And he made the night too. And he will help you change your mind. And he will help you change your life. And Dr. Alicia Bertscholli is going to help us get it done. Hey, are you ready to change your life? If the answer is yes, there's only one rule. You have to change your mind first. And my friend, there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense. Are you ready to change your life? Well, this is the place. Self-Brain Surgery School. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and this is where we go deep into how we're wired, take control of our thinking, and find real hope. This is where we learn to become healthier, feel better, and be happier. This is where we leave the past behind and transform our minds. This is where we start today. Are you ready? This is your podcast. This is your place. This is your time, my friend. Let's get after it. got really an incredible writer and a leader in the kingdom who's doing great things. And her new book is right up your alley. If you're a longtime listener of this show, you are listening because something hurt and you're trying to find your way back again. And I've got an incredible guest today. Dr. Alicia Britt Sholey is with us today. Welcome to the show, Alicia. Oh, thank you so much, Lee. It's an honor to be here. A joy to meet you. And I am so anticipating holding your book. So I've already, I get the listeners a background on you, but give us the 30,000 foot view of who you are and what's going on in your world. Sure. Jesus in his mercy interrupted my atheistic worldview weeks before I was beginning my university studies. I sincerely believed that there was no God. And so I went from there is no God to, oh, my God, in about 90 minutes, one very unexpected day in the presence of Jesus, the person of Jesus, his creativity, his breadth, his his infiniteness captivated me and has captivated me for decades now. So fast forward and... I am now, I don't know, graced to live in the country of Missouri and out where the stars shine bright. I have three children through the miracle of adoption. My truly good man of a husband, Barry, and I have been married 32 years. And we spend our days investing in the health, the soul health of leaders around the world. Wow. And along the way, you started writing books. What led to that? Yes, that was very unexpected. I've always loved writing. I've loved words. I like their fabric. I like their texture. I've been a journaler for a long time. And then one day I was speaking at a church and a wonderful woman came up to me and she said, hey, do you write? And I just thought she was making conversation, Lee. So I said, oh, I love writing. I love journaling. And anyway, within two weeks, there was this book contract on my desk asking me to contribute and write a devotional, sweet little devotional called Pure Joy. And I found out that writing was, oh my, I don't know. It felt like a dance. Writing was like therapy for me. I just loved the process. And so that was the beginning. And then every once in a while, a door opens to write what's next in my heart. And I walk through it with joy. But I'm not not somebody who writes every day, regardless of the weather. There's opportunities come, something's in my soul, and I'm I'm very grateful to be able to offer it. Wow. Let's talk for a minute about your other works. I've read two of your books before, the new one, Mm -hmm. The Sacred Slow and Anonymous, right? I think both of those are really going to segue into the conversation we're going to have because they're very helpful. And I love looking back on a writer's career and seeing seeing the breadcrumbs that got them from point A to point B. And you can do that with my work. And it's interesting. So talk about um, those other two books for a moment. I think it'll help uh, to understand where you got to the night is normal. Sure. A little bit of backstory. The fact is having come from being an atheist and then walking in a relationship with God, at first, when people tried to put Bibles in my hands, Lee, I just thought, oh, what nonsense. I mean, what absolute 
nonsense. But when I started walking with God, I just all of a sudden realized that it wasn't a book, it was a voice. And I love to hear the voice. And so over the years, I just listen to and study the voice. It's like having pots of stew on the stove and they simmer for years and years. So Anonymous came into being when a literary agent said, if you could write one thing, what would it be? And I said, there's the soup I've had simmering for eight years, and I would love to be able to offer it. And it was anonymous. It was wow. a study of Jesus's hidden years and how we, what we can learn about his years and our years through the window of the temptation, because Jesus wasn't just dropped on the planet at the age of right. 30. He had these three hidden decades in which he was saying yes to his father. And the strength that we see in his visible years wasn't instantly acquired. It was growing choice after choice, hidden year after hidden year after hidden decade. And so by studying his first visible choices, it opens up a window. And we can see what God grows in us, what he grew in Jesus in these unexpected seasons where we feel like somebody pressed the pause button on our potential, or we feel unseen or underappreciated. So that was the birth of Anonymous. Well, that was an incredible book, and I'm going to be recommending it to my listeners and my readers of my Substack work because I found it to be particularly useful in the in the fact that your character and who you are depends on where you've been and what you've done. And so we see Jesus show up at age 30 after all those just little bits of what he was as a child and his dealing with massive spiritual warfare, and he's built the character, and you talk about the iceberg principle. So give us just a second about that. Yes. So scientists tell us that almost 90% of an iceberg is submerged in the unseen. Only a tenth is visible. And with that proportion, because of their enormous mass, apart from global warming, icebergs are virtually indestructible. So this principle emerges, this almost equation emerges, that 10% visible plus 90% unseen can equal an indestructible life. Right. And the most indestructible life in all of history, Jesus has reflected that iceberg equation. Only 10% really of his life is visible, what, three years. Almost 90% of his life was submerged in the unseen, right. and all of his life was and is absolutely indestructible. So as we read through the Gospels, we see Jesus's birth, followed by hidden days, his circumcision, followed by hidden months, his dedication, followed by hidden years. We find him visited by Magi at the age of two, followed by more hidden years. We see him asking questions at the age of 12, followed by almost two entirely hidden decades until those 30 years of anonymity are shattered. And Jesus walks into debated and documented, celebrated and scrutinized history. But when we say something like, I want to be like Jesus, we are not talking about his hidden years. No. No. Or his wilderness temptation, or his pain, or his massive thing. As we'll yeah. read about in your amazing book. We're not talking about the pain points in his life. We want to skip those. But Jesus' authority and his character come with his life. And in wow. that life, we walk through pain. Wow. I'm sad that we didn't have you on when that book came out because we <laughs> I could nerd out with you for a whole episode about that book. Maybe we can do that another time. <laughs> I would um, love that. So let's pivot then to the sacred slope. This yes. might surprise you, but neurosurgeons, some of them are out of balance in their work and life. Some of them are workaholics and perhaps mm-hmm. some of the people listening can relate to that. So let's talk about the sacred slope for a second. Yes, yes. I've often heard extremely productive, very successful people say, why on earth would I want to do anything slow, Alicia? (laughs) What what on earth is the purpose of that? And the sacred slow is about a departure from fast faith, a faith that goes from event to event, adrenaline rush to adrenaline rush, podcast to captivating song to mesmerizing book. The sacred slow is an invitation to see every slow second as the opportunity to be present to God. Wow. So I can remember God's presence in the past and I can with confidence anticipate God's presence in the future, but I can only be present to God's presence in this moment. Wow. Which means this moment is as full of potential for knowing him, for being loved by him, for loving others toward him as any ever has been and any ever will be. So this 
Second, this slow second is sacred. And if we can apply our minds to not just think about God, but think with him in this second, the potential we have for growing weatherproof devotion to intimacy with nearness with God expands beyond really our dreams. Wow. Amazing. That's exactly right. We just read a, Lisa and I and my wife prayed through a book called Every Moment Holy. And the idea, it's a liturgy. Basically, can you take this podcast and make it holy? Can you take the, like Tish Harris and Warren said, can you make this peanut butter and jelly sandwich holy? Can you make it a prayer? And I love it. So another, Mm -hmm. that's a whole nother episode we could have had right there, Lisa. (laughs) But the reason you're here, your wonderful publicist, Katie from Tyndale, found out about me a few years ago and feeds me incredible books to talk to their mm-hmm. authors. And it's been such a joy and a blessing over the years to get to know Michael Gillen and several of the mm-hmm. Tyndale authors, Elisa Childers, and just, it's been great. And so she said, Hey, what about this book? The night is normal. Mm-hmm. And I said, let me, let me check it out. And then I wrote her back and said, yes, I want the, I want Alicia <laughs> on my show. Because what I found is I started listening to your other books and reading the night is normal is mm-hmm. I'm learning from you. And the thing I'm learning from you, the most important thing that I think friend, if you're listening, and you've been in that night, that darkness, that grief plunges you into or loss or these massive things that happen in our lives. You start hearing people say, hey, there is still light out there and there is hope again and you can find it. But I think, Alicia, you gave me something new to think about. And that is that the night can be a blessing and mm-hmm. there, there's a way to see it and understand that you can grow during that time and you can be blessed during that time. So talk to us about the night as normal for a little bit. We'll have a conversation about that because you really, you helped me change my mind about that a little bit. Mm -hmm. I'm grateful for you. Oh, thank you. And truly, thank you. This book, The Night is Normal, is the overflow of 30 years for me, Lee. This is 30 years of study, 30 years of living through unexpected pain, through massive things and Anyway, I'm just so incredibly grateful that it's being offered, but that that we get a chance to talk about it. So when we go back to the very, very beginningly, in the beginning, the original residents of Eden, if we look at the beginning of Genesis, night was one of the original residents. God made day, he made night, he made the greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the night, which means that pre-fall, pre-drama, pre-pain, pre-sin, pre-curse, Before it all, walking with God required day faith and night faith. Yeah. So that means the night is normal. And I push it a little further to say not only is the night normal, the night is necessary. Yeah. The night is normal. We examine through a powerful word, disillusionment. Yeah. And if we were to break up that word, just the prefix dis means removal or negation. The noun illusion means false ideas or ideals. The suffix meant is the act of. So disillusionment is the act of removing false ideas and ideals. And that's what happens in the night. In the night, we lose illusions about God, about ourselves, and about others. Mm. The thing is, though, that hope is baked into the concept of disillusionment, which makes it distinct from other words like skepticism or despair. Hope is baked into disillusionment because to lose an illusion is to have an opportunity to gain a reality. That's right. And it just makes sense that finite us in relationship with infinite God that there is mystery in that relationship. There is loads of mystery. We are continually getting things wrong and having the opportunity to get things more right. We are continually losing illusions and gaining reality. And in that process, gaining a more accurate picture of God, that he is near, but to borrow something from C.S. Lewis, he's not tame. He's personal, but he's not pliable. He is with us, but he is not us. We're gaining illusions, losing illusions and gaining reality about the God that we're following. So Mm -hmm. the potential in the night is massive. It's extraordinary. 
That's a, that's amazing. Listener, I'm going to take you back, friend, for a second to yeah. my second book. I've seen the interview. The subtitle was Faith, Doubt, and the Things We Think We Know. Mm-hmm. And that references this idea that our lives are built around things that we think we've got figured out. Mm-hmm. And Alicia makes this beautiful point. And I'm going to quote my favorite line. I've got it in here in my Evernote file, Alicia. My favorite line of the book is, your personal definition of disillusionment. You said, my personal definition of disillusionment is the painful gaining of reality. That's that's what I figured out when I was dealing with people with glioblastoma and fatal brain tumors and trying to take care of them, even though I couldn't fix them, was the thing that shakes people up the most is losing, finding out that something they thought was true isn't true. Mm -hmm. And that's it turns out, as you've pointed out now in The Night is Normal, that's not always devastating. It can also be opportunity. It's just beautiful what you've done. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Yes, the losing of illusions and the gaining of reality doesn't mean that our faith has failed. It means that our faith is growing. One of the things that I describe in the book is it's almost as though our concepts of God are like these beautiful balloons. And every once in a while, we hear this startling pop as they break. That just means that God's bigger than we thought he was, that he's more complex than we assumed he was. And beautiful, I think, parallel image is the infant's description and understanding of their parent. The infant may think of mom as milk in the beginning or mom as eyes and hands. And later on, the infant may realize that mom is a distinct being, but whose entire purpose is to care for the child. And there is this evolution and an understanding of who mom is. But even as mom passes, she'll still be a lovely mystery. Even beyond that point, the adult now will still have wonders and awe about who mom was. And even though in literally mom is not milk, that is inaccurate, but it's still a very healthy perspective for the child's development. And this is what happens in our relationship with God. He continually is much bigger than we ever thought. But even at the very end of our days, he will still be this glorious mystery that we continue to explore after death. Amen. That's right. So what's the deal then with doubt and how does Mm -hmm. doubt relate to faith? And is doubt bad or is doubt Mm -hmm. okay? Or what's the story with doubt from your perspective? Yes. Again, having been an atheist, this definitely shapes me. I view doubt as a growing pain of faith. I think doubt is something that accompanies us. If we could go back to think about somebody like John the Baptist, right? So at the waters of the Jordan, he's, look, behold, the Lamb of God, go follow him. But within the walls of his prison, he sends word through his disciples to Jesus. And he says, hey, listen, are you the one I was waiting for? Should I wait for somebody else? Yeah. He was doubting the identity of Jesus. And that's what happens in the night. That's what happens when all of a sudden we're in a prison. That's what happens when there is no light anymore. And it was after this point that Jesus said, John the Baptist is the greatest one that's ever been born among among women. He affirmed John. And so the the problem isn't that we have doubts. I think honest humans have doubts. I think the challenge is what do we do with them? What direction do we face with them? Do we turn our back toward God? and try to process our doubts on our own? Or do we turn toward him? Do we say, hey, listen, are you who I thought it was, or should I wait for somebody else? Like Mary and Martha, we say, listen, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Like the disciples in the boat, do we say, don't you care if we drown? We're drowning here. And so honesty is a friend of intimacy with God. And when doubt leads us to honesty, fantastic. When doubt leads us to have honest questions that we direct toward God, that means our faith is growing. So I don't villainize doubt. I circle around it in curiosity, and I find that most often it is a growing pain of faith. Philip Yancey said that many people think the opposite of, that faith is the opposite of doubt, but he defined it as the opposite of faith is fear. And that can point us from one to the other. And I think that's yes. exactly where you're going with this. So somebody listening, I have this prayer wall on my website. 
And yeah. people write in and put in prayer requests and people all over the world praying for each other. And somebody tonight is going to get on there and say, I just lost my husband or oh, I just yeah. got a bad diagnosis or my grandkids won't talk to me anymore. There's, there's always something out there. So for the listener, Alicia, who today is their day when they hit that massive thing and they're plunged into the darkness, what do you say like acute phase reaction to that person to, to help them today? What do you say? Yes, I would encourage face God with the pain to the extent you can even wrap words around it. Yet you may need to just sit in silence and mourn, but face him with the mourning. You may be at a point already where you're yelling, then face him with your screams. That's right. You may be at the place where you don't think you, you don't think you like him or love him then face him with your discouragement. Honesty is an incredible friend of both mental and spiritual and emotional and physical health. Be as honest as you possibly can and know that he is near. And I think back to the massive things in my life again, alluding to your book, which is such going to be such a gift to so many generations. And that ability to like Job, sit in the ashes and be honest with God. That's faith. Faith is not a spiritualized form of optimism. We have more potential for great faith when we feel nothing and wonder what we believe than when we feel great and think we know all the answers. That's right. We are poised for some of the greatest contributions of faith in our massive things when we're sitting in the ashes. Because there's something about honesty. There's something about especially honest questions. The purpose of honest questioning isn't getting answers. It's building trust. That's what we're doing through our honesty. And so as we face God with our honest, whatever it happens to be, we're actually building trust. At the very time when it feels like our God concepts are being shredded and shattered. That's right. This feels like that time you're encouraging our listener here who's going through the massive thing. And earlier I asked you if you would pray for us, and I forgot to ask you to as we started the episode. So this is the time. Let's pray for that person right now, Alicia. Say a prayer. Yeah, be happy to. Lord, you see my brother, you see my sister. Their world seems to be falling apart. Things that they loved have been ripped from their hands. It is dark. It is dark even within them. God, you are the one who keeps our lamp burning. You are the one who turns our darkness into light. And you are breathing right now into that soul. You are breathing hope. You are breathing faith. You are breathing love. And so I pray for my brother and sister on the edge of despair. I pray for them that they could do what any good patient needs to do, be still and let the surgeon do his work, to be still and trust the surgeon. And God, I pray that in their stillness, that your love would surround them and protect them. I pray that as they wait for dawn, that your hope would support them. And I pray most of all, God, that you would grant them the courage to be brutally honest and face you with the pain. Because I know as centuries, as millennia of followers of you have affirmed, I know that when we face you, that you take that pain and you forge it into a substance we in this generation desperately need, a substance of purified love, the substance of character. In Jesus' name, I commit them to you. Amen. We can't decide if we are falling Because every single call is a chance To realize we're dependent On the fate of our circumstance We've been living many too many We've been holding on to every breath Somehow our hearts are still in it But all our innocence is left We 
like tides of ocean blue. We won't be here forever. Just stay moment down through. We can be shifting with the sands like seasons always do. Like seasons always do. Everything we said was a reason for us to pick up our things and go. But even when we climbed up the mountain, we knew that we had nowhere to go. We're in for nasty weather. Now. Made me cry on my own podcast. Thank you for that. <laughs> Even Derwin Gray, Derwin Gray last week, Dr. Derwin Gray made me cry on my own podcast. So it's only two times that's happened. So technical foul, Felicia. <laughs> hey, something I want to ask you about. So sometimes the night, the dark thing that's happening in our lives happens not after a massive thing has occurred. Sometimes we just go into this season that's where right. everything feels dim and God feels far away. Some people have called that a dark night of the soul. And what was that all about? So talk to us about that for a minute. Yes. And that's very, a very accurate description of my first night. I just thought myself into a cold place that seemed absent of God. I had been wrestling with theological issues, trying to wrap my minds around my mind around things that were beyond me and just thought myself into a place where it felt like my, I was losing my grip on God. I remember a, a day in a park, Lee, when I I felt like after Jesus had saved me, after he had captivated me, now I was about to fail him. My faith was failing me. Like I was holding on with my like all my might to my last sliver of faith. And this kind of thing can happen apart from a crisis. We think of when I read the writings of some people that I want to read more from, Oswald Chambers and some of the great C.S. Lewis and people whose voices are so timeless, every single one of them speaks about a space where they either went for at least months, sometimes years, I've even read of decades, where they felt nothing of the presence of God, or everything they were teaching and saying sounded hollow, where they were proclaiming things that they weren't sure 
they believed anymore. And so people who study the dark night, they speak of two different types of night. A dark night of the senses, where you feel nothing, and a dark night of the soul, where you're not sure you believe anything anymore. And these can creep up on you. Sometimes we can pin them down to a specific event, a specific tragedy. But often they just come winterly. Winter just comes. There's nothing I can do to make spring stay. There's nothing I can do to prolong summer. There is just a time when winter comes. It will not last forever, but I can't prevent it from starting and I can't make it shorter. These are winter seasons of our faith that God does not waste and they purify love. When you still follow God, when you feel nothing, your love is purified. And really, that's what's going to change the world. It's not oh. going to be happiness. It's going to be a purified, sturdy love that can speak when the lights go out, that can speak in the middle of pain, that can speak in tragedy, and not platitudes, yeah. but something of substance that's been lived and that has seasoned our own souls. Oh, this normalness of the night that you describe, you used another metaphor in, I think, the sacred slow, if I'm not mistaken, where you talk about in the wintertime, the leaves fall off the trees and you can see better. So it's it's cold and there's bad stuff going on, but it clarifies your ability to see the birds and there's still some beautiful stuff happening in there. And I think that's what those dark night periods are. It's where God's doing some formation in us. It's like when the teacher walks out of the room and has you working on something by yourself for a little while, but they're not gone. They're still there. And I don't know. That's how it feels to me. Yes. I agree. Yeah, I agree. In the summer, we're really distracted by all the trees' leaves or the trees' fruits or the trees' flowers. But in winter, it's barren. And so you really can only stare at its foundation. You can stare at its structure. And that's what happens in the night. We're less distracted by our own successes, less distracted by our own optimism. And we have an opportunity to stare at our structure and to truly be strengthened. Nobody signs up for it. I don't, I don't sign up for these things, but when they come, I know they won't be wasted. That's right. And they will come. That's the point. These things come for everyone. If you don't have pain, you need to check your pulse because there's something that's going to happen. Now, two things you said earlier, I want to circle back to, I don't want to forget. One, you were talking about how these nighttime periods can give you an opportunity to to review how you love God, how you review people, other people. And you said a phrase that I've not heard before, love people towards him. What does that mean? And is that the same thing that somebody did for you? You mentioned in your book how you had a persistent friend who wasn't going to let you alone in your atheism. So is that what loving people towards God means? Yes, great question. Uh, That particular phrase is, I'm sure I'm not the first one to state it, but it is. it captures my life goal, my personal life vision, to love God, to live loved by God, and to love others toward God. Wow. That's what I hope my life, however long it is, that that's what I hope the fruit of it is. Wow. when I think of what it, to me, it personally means to love others toward God. To me, it means to be near enough, to be loved like a teddy bear with the ears raw from <laughs> all its loving. Yeah. That there's a scent of love that awakens people. My eldest, who's on the autistic spectrum, he was, we were at a gas station once just filling up and the receipt wasn't coming out of the machine. So I walked in and then I walked back out and I sat back in the car and Jonathan said, mom, I've got to ask you something. I said, of course, love, what do you want to ask? And he said, mom, you walked in and you had a smile on your face. Nobody else did, mom. And you walked out and you were still smiling. You're in the car. You're about to drive. You're smiling. Mom, I don't understand. Where does the smile come from? You've always got a smile. And I had to think because I wanted to be truthful. And and I said, you know what, love? I think that mama smiles because mama knows she's loved. I know that I'm loved. Yeah. When Jesus first interrupted my life, the very first thing I did was call two girls And I'll tell you about them, the ones who loved me toward God, who I had just been, I was terrible. Our debates were brutal. They were in tears. It was just 
devastating. But I called them and I said, hey, Sean, guess what? I said, I met him. And she's, ah, what's this one's name? And I'm like, no, I met Jesus. I met your Jesus. And I rattled on about this incredible encounter I had. And she told me, she said, I do not appreciate your new attempt to mock my faith. And she hung up on me because that's how antagonistic I had been. She didn't believe me until I got home and she saw my face and she saw the smile And it was from knowing that I was deeply loved to the point where I would never be abandoned. And I think one of the greatest gifts that we can give to others and to this generation is to realize how fully and deeply we are loved. Because when you lead because you're loved, not to be loved. When you serve because you're loved, not to be loved. Yeah. You lead and you serve differently you live and you die differently so honestly that is my greatest hope with the night is normal that we will surrender to these seasons where our love is being purified and not only to discover the depths of god's love for us but so that we can carry that well loveness with us into a world that's in desperate need Wow. It's going to do that. This is one of those books, friend, that is going to give you a new perspective on your life because these things are going to happen in your life. And Alicia is a trusted guide who you can hold on to her leadership and follow her through these times. And I found myself, I was running the other morning and I was like, this lady is teaching me stuff. I've been a Christian for my whole life and I'm learning things that I never thought about before. So you've done a good job. And I think it's really going to help people. And the Lord's going to, another guest I had a while back said, God told me to take care of the depth and he'll take care of the breadth of what mm-hmm. happens with this book. Wow. And that's exactly that's what we different. do, right? If it's yes. one, one reader or if it's a million or a hundred million, you mm-hmm. took care of the depth. And I'm telling you, friend, this is one of those books that's going to go deep with you. Wow. I have one more question for you or two more, two more questions based on things you said. One, so my listeners, we talk every episode about something I call self brain surgery because it's this idea that you can't change your life until you change the stuff you think about, right? And you mm-hmm. said that you thought yourself into this dark time. Yes. So what did you mean exactly by that? You thought yourself into this. Yes. Faith is a duet. We live it with God. Yep. But more often than not, we live faith like a solo in our mind. We think alone. We self-guide. Yep. I think one of the most powerful steps in spiritual formation we can take is to start developing the discipline of asking God to mentor our mind. Yeah. It's a simple sentence. It's, Jesus, what do you want to think about together now? Jesus, do I have permission to think with you about this at this time? Jesus, where do you want to go in my thoughts today? What I meant by saying I thought myself into exhaustion is I was thinking solo. I was thinking outside of the permission of God. Sometimes I think about it like the illustration of chasing horses. My dogs, we live out in the country and my dogs chase horses. And one of these days they're going to get the wind kicked out of them. We have this tendency, like my puppies, to wander and to chase horses. Now, there are some horses we're going to be able to ride in the future. But if we ride them prematurely or we attempt to, we're going to get the wind kicked out of us. So how do we respond to that reality? We ask God to mentor our mind. We think as a duet instead of as a solo. We think with him. We ask him to lead. We want him to lead our feet. We need him to lead our thoughts. That's right. And thinking with him, we're still in safe territory. Wow. We have two rules that we talk about of self-brain surgery. If you want to be not committing malpractice against yourself and (laughs) all the cheesy surgical metaphors. No, that's great. But the two rules are things you just addressed. Not every thought that you have is true. Mm, um, not right. every thought that you have is true. In fact, from a neurochemical standpoint, about five to one, the thoughts that you have are not true. They're just, wow. they're just I thoughts. 
that are yeah. generated by synapses from your whole life and they're just firing all the time. And most thoughts that pop into your head aren't true. The mm-hmm. second one is feelings aren't facts. Feelings yes. are neurotransmitter events in your brain and they don't always point to true things. So you just described that whole process beautifully. And I love that we're reinforcing that, that thought process here today for the listener. The yeah. last thing I want to give you or ask of you, I promised you 45 minutes. We were coming right up on it. Okay. And so I don't want to, I don't want to take too much of your time today, but you talk about these nighttime periods, Alicia, and really you can get into them in three different modes. You can be disillusioned with God or disillusioned with other people or disillusioned with yourself. So just, I think we should parse those out for a minute because they're important. Yes. So disillusionment, losing illusions, gaining reality about God. It looks like that process where we move from Jesus loves me, this I know, (laughs) to times where we're in the Garden of Gethsemane of, hey, can this cup pass? Is there any way in which there's another option, another door? If so, I want to take it. It's where we are moving from our thoughts about what God does and disillusioned by the evidence that we see of his participation in our life. This is when a loved one dies. This is when we hear cancer from the doctor. We start losing illusions about what a good God allows. Yeah. Disillusionment with ourself is what Peter experienced. He went from, even if everybody deserts you, I won't, I'll die for you, Jesus, to denying Jesus before the rooster crowed three times. This is when fear surprises us and we realize that there were fault lines in our commitment to God. Disillusionment with others, we are well acquainted with. That's when the people of God (laughs) are who we needed them to be. And to be honest, personally, that has been as dark of a night as the other two have been for me. That's the one that took me more by surprise when pain comes from around God's table. Mm. And so in the night is normal. We show biblical examples of all of this. And then I offer, I think, around 24, 25 practical tools to help navigate those different types of night in our lives. Wow. Amazing. It's a great work, a studied work from a real thinker. And I love it. There's graphs and there's word studies. And people who listen to my show, we're always nerding out on the Hebrew and the Greek and what stuff means. And so listener, you're going to love it. It's right up your alley um, of the kind of thing that I'm always telling you that you're going to love. And so I can't wait to hear your feedback on this episode. Click the like button on Substack or wherever you listen and put some comments in there because I'll send them all to Alicia and she'll see them and she'll be encouraged with the work that she's doing. 30 more seconds. What's the word you have for us today that we need to be thinking about as we part today? Yeah, I think the word would be a quick story. When I was little, my dad didn't want me to be afraid of the dark. He didn't want me to be be afraid of storms. And so every time there was a night storm, we would go sit on the porch together and we would watch it come in and he'd tuck me under his arm. And I learned to associate night storms with an opportunity to rest with my dad. So I would say to those listening, if you're in a night storm, I know it's dark and I know the wind is frightening, but there is an opportunity here. God has you tucked under his arm and he is near you. Be encouraged. Your night won't last forever. It is normal, but it's also necessary. Amen. Dr. Alicia Britt Shirley, great to have you with us today. Thank you for writing this book and for the body of work that you've put out there. Great job. Keep it up. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Warren. It's been a joy to be with you. And I absolutely look forward to your offering as well. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. I told you. (laughs) That was amazing talk. And I can't wait to have Dr. Alicia back on the show. I can't encourage you highly enough, friend. The night is normal. I think it's a perfect compliment, really, to Hope is the First Dose. These two books are going to help you when you're dealing with hard things. But if you're in a season where you feel like it's dark and you're in the night and you don't know what to make of it and you feel disillusioned and you feel like you've lost some of those things that you know, The Night is Normal by Dr. Alicia Britt Shirley will help you. It will encourage you. It will guide you. She's a mentor and teacher. I felt kind of like I was talking to a, a sister or a like a like a mentoring type figure as we spoke, like I was learning things from her actively. And Lisa and I are both reading her books now and and just in- incredible person. I'm so grateful to Katie Dole of Tyndale for hooking us up. And Katie, shout out to you. This book is a game changer, and I'm so grateful to have had a chance to sit down with Dr. Shuley and give you a, 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 just a taste 
of what you can learn from her. Um, be praying for her book's success because people need this message right now. They need to know that the night is normal. Our society thinks we all everything has to be about being happy and making yourself feel good and pursuing your own thing and finding your own truth and all that. And, and what's happening is it's that lifestyle and that pursuit of feeling is putting us in a place where nothing feels right because it doesn't produce joy. And we just get further and further in the dark of confusion and wondering why it's not working. And we need some hope. And this book, my friend, will give you some hope. It'll help you see that the night is normal. Remember, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And sometimes you need to change your mind about what the night means. And Dr. Alicia Bertscholli's book, The Night is Normal, will help you get that done. And the good news is you can start today. I'm going to leave you with the Red Sea Road song from Ellie Holcomb. Remember, we serve a God who will put us on the road, and it'll seem impossible sometimes. You'll say, I don't have any water, and he'll give you water from a rock. You'll say, I don't have anything to eat. He'll give you manna or quail. You'll say, I don't have any light. He'll say, I'll be with you in a pillar of cloud or a fire. I'll be with you. I will lead you. I will guide you. And you'll say, well, I'm about to run off into this ocean. He'll say, I'll part the waters. Just keep going. We serve a God who does impossible things as a matter of routine because he's the guy that has invented quantum physics and he's in charge of it all. So listen, friend, you hang in there and you press through even in the night because the night is normal. And that's why you can change your life by changing your mind. And you can start today.
Hey, thanks for listening. The Dr. Lee Warren Podcast is brought to you by my brand new book, Hope is the First Dose. It's a treatment plan for recovering from trauma, tragedy, and other massive things. It's available everywhere books are sold. And I narrated the audio book if you're not already tired of hearing my voice. Hey, the theme music for the show is Get Up by my friend Tommy Walker, available for free at TommyWalkerMinistries.org. They are supplying worship resources for worshipers all over the world to worship the Most High God. And if you're interested in learning more, check out TommyWalkerMinistries.org. If you need prayer, go to the prayer wall at WLeeWarrenMD.com slash prayer, WLeeWarrenMD.com slash prayer, and go to my website and sign up for the newsletter, Self Brain Surgery, every Sunday since 2014, helping people in all 50 states and 60-plus countries around the world. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'll talk to you soon. Remember, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today.